The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. And welcome back to the Cup of Three podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover Three and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for tuning in. If you smash that subscribe, smash that like, come and join us in the chat. This is a Thursday episode. It is not uh, necessarily a mailbag episode, but we will entertain audience questions, especially on the topics of the day, which is all about talking season. Uh, we've had the SEC Media Days is currently in day four of four. The ACC is currently in day two of two. Uh, we had the Big 12 in the prior week. And so, you know, we figured we should gather together. There's been a, a lot of, you know, some meaningful talking points. There's been some exquisite attire some good-looking suits out there. You know, we, we got to talk about the best shape of your life. Lots of things to get to. But uh, what, uh, Bud and I are here at the ACC football kickoff in Charlotte, so I guess we should start there. Did everyone here, Jim Phillips and his noble cause fighting for college athletics, and do you believe that Jim Phillips has calmed any of the angst across the Atlantic Coast mm -hmm. Conference? Jim Phillips' 45-minute opening speech which had revenue mentioned once, and then in the next 15 minutes, revenue was mentioned 13 times. I counted. 14 references of revenue, one in what Jim Phillips had prepared 13 times in the question and answer session. So, yeah, what would you think of it? I, he kind of had to say a lot of the stuff that he said. Like, I'll say it off the bat. That there are certain things that Jim Phillips has to say contractually. For instance, he said, uh, well, I think if Notre Dame does join a conference, it'll join our conference, which, yes, contractually, that's correct right now. If Notre Dame joins a conference, they are contractually obligated to join the ACC unless they just break that contract, which is very easy to do. All they would need to do is pay the grant of rights for their non-revenue sports, which that's kind of an obvious thing. If you're paying a grant of rights for non-revenue sports, it's not a big deal because you're not really making much of any money off those other sports anyway other than basketball. Uh, but I, I thought it was uh, a little bit tone deaf uh, overall. In that, in the times he had opportunities to talk about things that he did not have to stay contractually obligated to a certain talking point, uh, he was a little too focused on the collegiate model, uh, I guess. And there was not a whole lot of uh, hope given to me that he has a great vision for what this conference is going to do. Uh, but yet he left everything very open-ended. All options are on the table, he said. Even when asked about, do you think this league will stay together? 
for 14 more years as the grant of rights runs until 2036. Uh, he said, all options are on the table, which is kind of funny. I, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know what he could say, honestly. Like, the ACC's in a tough spot right now. It's in a good spot in that the grant of rights doesn't seem to be anything anybody's willing to challenge at the moment. But I do wonder if that will always be the case or if somebody eventually is going to say, screw it, let's go for it and see what happens. But it's just if, what can he say? Yeah, no, we're going to, you know, raid the big 12 and the pac 12 or what it's like what can you say like what can you do if you're in his position right now you can't just come out and throw your cards on the table and say this is what we're going to do this is how we're going to do it like and that's why by and large like media days to me are just you know let's talking point season like we call it talking season it's talking point season yeah i i just was earlier today i was like i'm just burned out on all the yeah. conference realignment and i tell you to me it feels like you're watching politicians speak and yeah. they're they're outstanding i mean they get paid a lot of money to be the spokesmen and women of the conferences and so that's their job is to go up there and not give you anything i mean they're supposed to be Derek jeter up there for an hour and just not give you anything to bite on and that's what they do and i don't i don't really i don't take any of it really in in like ooh that's that what what did that just tell us because like bud said like they they're talking what they can say and they're very careful they're very cautious like when greg sankey says we're good at 16 i'm like are you well all right that's what you're saying that's what you're telling everybody same thing with jim phillips like i just i look at it all with a grain of salt and i'm like yeah all right you know i, I just don't i don't look into it too much so do you think like sankey right. could say we're good at 16 but, you know, we'd be good at 18, too, if the right two teams came. We'd be good at 20 just as well if the right four teams came. So it's like they say things, and it doesn't actually mean anything. And all media days is like 75 consecutive tweets of reporters tweeting the same quote. Well, yeah, say, please give me a line that will not get me sued for tortious interference with another league's contract. Sure. Yeah. The best quote I heard, and this kind of shows you, I don't even, I don't even think some of these commissioners know, right? Because I'm sure there's ACC teams that are trying to get out that maybe Jim Phillips doesn't even know about. Um, was George Klyovkov? We play the clip back all the time on SiriusXM. Three weeks before USC and UCLA announced they were leaving, he is doing like this press. I don't know, I don't know if it was on Pac-12 Network or what it was on, but he's like, I feel confident in our the direction of our conference we're all in the boat we're rowing together we're all rowing in the same direction and literally three weeks later usc uscla left and he had no clue you know it's just no one knows i think that's that's kind of like you can say whatever you want but do you really know what's going on i think that he entertained um unequal revenue sharing when asked about it mm -hmm. and you know we've <laughs> like don't do that that's gonna happen <laughs> but I, I, that's going to happen that's good i bet you oh then the acc is dead you're dead. Not, no, no, not necessarily. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, you who, are. Well, look, it worked so well for the Big 12. Sure. It did it work so well. It worked it, so it well also, that Texas and Oklahoma are sticking around and not leaving early. Getting rid of it also also killed the Pac-12 in part because USC used to have it, right? And then when they went to divisions, they took it away. You can argue this both ways. I, I do not think they're going to have unequal revenue sharing of all revenues. My anticipation is that they are going to find some new revenue streams and that new money will be shared unequally, probably based on TV ratings and performance. Okay, well. But like, I don't think well Boston College is going to have like a 92% budget slash or anything like that. I, I, I think it'll be more, you guys, 
now the PGA Tour is probably not what you're trying to emulate right now if you're trying to keep a league <laughs> together, but they did implement that new pool of money where if you're like popular on social media and you do like engagement stuff like that. You but that's play. an individual sport. It's not about schools and conferences. Those right. those golfers don't work together. They're individual players. So yeah, of course. But, but here's the thing though. There's only about four or five teams in the ACC that are holding together the ACC contract. The rest of them are just leeching on it and are there for scheduling like for games. And I'm not saying that in like a negative way, but it is in the best interest of the other nine teams in this league to hope that Clemson or Miami or Florida State either stay on top or get back on top because nobody really cares. Hey, Boston College is making a special run. Look what Wake's doing. It doesn't move the needle. They don't rate. So if they want this thing to stay together long term, they need to find ways to get more money to those schools that at least have the potential to be good. Otherwise, the whole thing's screwed anyway. Like, Tom, you can say, hey, the ACC's dead. It's definitely dead if they if they're all of a sudden the, your best schools are making a third of their SEC rivals. I feel like you're just bailing water out of one side of the ship when it's coming in the other. The, well, I, look, yeah, there's I also a little bit of a it's like 20, 2036. Like, what is football in 2036? Why are we so worried? It's uh, like they're going to be robots oh, playing yeah. and they're going to float. Well, they're, it's flag football, and you know, it's an entirely different product that's maybe not going to draw the same amount of ratings. Maybe it does. Who knows? It's just there seems to be this, uh, this, this very much like who even knows what's going to happen in five years. Like the the stress about these ten year projections is not necessarily met from what I'm seeing because there's a little bit of pushback. It's like like Jim Phillips might not, might not even be the commissioner by the time 2036 rolls around. So it. It's like the now problems are, are the the distraction or the shiny thing, and they seem to think that in the now, Clemson, Florida State, Miami, as Bud mentioned, are are not um, angling up to pay the legal fees, the exit fee, which is three times of your uh, annual media rights payout. So the exit fee right now would be around one twenty plus whatever your settlement. You would end up you would end up having some kind of settlement to get out of the grant of rights. There's, so what you're saying is if they do unequal revenue and they give more money to Clemson, Miami, and Florida State, those schools will be able to afford to buy themselves out quicker than the others. Maybe. I mean, I <laughs> I tend to I tend to believe that there's not like what a, a drift. It's not, <laughs> I tend to believe that the ACC is okay in the immediate future and that while there are absolutely concerns about 10 years from now, the official stance of the conference is we'll figure that out later. And you're right. <laughs> That might not be the most proactive approach. You know, the one thing I, I was writing for CBSports.com was like, when a storm's coming, you've got some some options. Like, you can prepare your house. You can do things around the yard, or you can go to the middle of your house and pray. And, like, there is a little bit of that latter option that seems to be what's happening right now. Um, you know, he said the all options are on the table line. He he dropped it for, as he mentioned, if, if the league's even still going to be together in 2036, he dropped it for expansion. He was like, we are evaluating schools. We are talking about schools. I'm not going to tell you which ones we're discussing. Maybe it means we make a move. Maybe we don't. He had the Freudian slip about 17 instead of 15. You know, our 17 ACC schools. He might have done that on purpose. He might have done that on purpose. He might have done that because. Let's speculate recklessly who the two schools are. Stanford and Cal. Stanford and Cal. Okay. USC and UCLA would be in the Big Ten. I don't think Stanford and Cal are playing football in 25 years. See, that's the thing. I don't think Cal is either. Yeah, Stanford I, I, might I, still be. but You give Cal an excuse to be like, hey, we don't actually want to do this football thing anymore. I bet you they're done. Whew. 
<laughs> Go Bears! Justin Wilcox contract extension through 2030. Is that because of the academic aspect of the ACC? Is yeah, that why you think them and not Oregon, yeah. Washington, or somebody else? Or the markets? Like, like Vincent Price, uh, who I believe is the university president at Duke, is a Stanford grad. You know, you've got like a lot of like leadership academic types that have some ties uh, to Stanford and, and sort of that scene. That's why. Bunch of nerds. <laughs> um, so on field stuff with the ACC, uh, what's what stood out from coaches, players? A lot of comments have been uh, have been coming out. What is what's drawn your attention? Uh, th- there are two that stood out to me. One we'll talk about, but the, the one that really kind of I think is the funnest one is Pat Narduzzi going on a live stream of a car dealership and basically throwing Mark Whipple under the bus. We've got the quote here. He said. Our old offensive coordinator had no desire to run the ball. Everyone knew it. He was stubborn. I mean, Wake Forest, 118th in run defense, and we threw the ball every down. When we ran it, we ran it for 10 yards, but that wasn't good enough. Uh, fact check time. First, How many times did they? First of all, throwing the ball all the time. You won the ACC. Your quarterback was a Heisman finalist. Your receiver won the Bolitnikoff. You had your best year there, Pat. All right, because you're throwing the ball all the time. But just going to the Wake Forest game, which, by the way, you won 45 to 21. Sack, taking out the sacks, which Wake had three sacks on the day. Pitt ran the ball 35 times on 72 plays. So, damn, like one play short of half the time they ran the ball. (laughs) Uh, Sack adjusted for yardage. They ran the ball for 150 yards on 35 carries or 4.3 yards per. So, you ran the ball half the time, and you ran it for four yards each. You didn't just run it twice for 10 yards each. And on the season, there's like probably a reason you didn't run the ball that often because you ranked 48th nationally in rushing EPA per play, which is fine, not great, but fine. And it probably you're not doing that good if not for the fact that everybody was terrified of your quarterback and your passing attack. And you ranked 63rd, which is just about average in yards before contact because your offensive line wasn't exactly great at run blocking, but that could also be part or side effect of pass blocking so much you kind of got to do something to get better at it but just for some further context here like a couple of teams that Pitt ran more often than last year as far as their rushing rate Alabama and Ohio State so passing probably isn't the worst thing in the world all the time but I, I love Pat Narduzzi like when he was still at Michigan State and Illinois was at the end of the Beckman era and they decided to give Cubit a one-year extension Narduzzi is who I wanted Illinois to hire Pitt got him instead, and I think things have gone pretty well. So I'm not attacking Narduzzi as a coach, but this is some big DC energy right here, like defensive yeah. coordinator brain. Yeah, this this has me very very uh, sad because I I'm, I'm invested in Pitt, and uh, I really think like if Miami falters a little bit, Pitt could be the team that takes advantage because they do return so much off a of very good defense, and they return all five offensive linemen. And I'm just so worried that Narduzzi is going to must champ this thing and create too many close games where they don't need to be close. There's a lot of teams on Pitt's schedule that they should be beating, you know, 30 to 17. And if Pitt creates too many games because they're trying to run the ball all the time, which they really were not a good running team last year uh, by the efficiency metrics, they're going to create too many games that are like 24 to 20. And you lose those games because they turn into coin flips, especially given Narduzzi's history of late game management, uh, you know, kicking the extra point type stuff. Yeah, so this, this has me a little down, to be honest. I'm a little sad because I really really was excited to be invested in Pitt, and uh, I'm just worried he's going to must champ the hell out of this thing this year and go back to you know big, strong man ball, which is not efficient. Passing the ball in college is the way to go. He's had a rough 
off season. Yes. I, I mean, oh, yeah. that's, I mean, losing Jordan Addison, but feeling like he wasn't going to lose him, feeling like he had him locked up was pretty, you know, Hey, we put that to bed and then loses him. Then, you know, reports that he called Lincoln Riley, chewed him out the dissension with Mark Whipple. Like it's been rough. You know, and the thing that's crazy is I'm with bud. Like he was pretty optimistic about this roster you know, just be, I, 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 I don't want to say he said better, but he's like, we got a good team this year. Like he felt good about this team. I hope this all doesn't, you know, there's, there's a good thing to having a chip on your shoulder, but then there's, you become stubborn. And I think that's what Bud's talking about where I hope it doesn't become that. I, I also do wonder though, cause this was like a live stream event again at a car dealership. I'm wondering if maybe he was in, I'm at a booster luncheon mode, like thinking that this stuff wasn't going to be going out publicly. So he was just saying stuff to rile people up and get them all fired up. And maybe there's just you know some carnival barker to it. Because he also was talking about the Peach Bowl, saying that, you know, things would have been different had Pitt had all its players, everybody been fully healthy. But it's so I, it strikes me as he was thinking he was at a booster luncheon more than anything. I'm oh, okay he was with that one, though. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay fine with that with too. That but you know, I don't know why one. you're throwing. Why are you throwing your old OC under the bus when that dude just gave you like the most successful season you've had at the school? <laughs> I think it shows you how dysfunctional the relationship was, yeah. right? I mean, these guys clearly. I mean, you had the best season you had. Remember, Whipple steps down, and like it was odd. I and mean, it was a really odd move that Whipple took. So I think it shows you some of the personality differences that were there were very real. Kenny Pickett gave Mark Whipple so much credit. For what that offense became and talked about how it was not just like a one time it took years of building up to that point to be able to get there i mean he was listen he was probably gassed up because he was at the number one ford dealer in pennsylvania you know <laughs> ford with three president's award-winning locations in wexford hammerville west mifflin Hey. It's just, it's just a special, special I, love hammerville. I, get, I bet kenny pickett could give you some dirt on conversations that were had in the quarterback offensive coordinator room, game planning, you know, story. I just, I would love or to the hear the headset. I, I yeah. would love to hear the headset. All of it. Some of yeah. These and like just all of it. Cause I mean, I, you've been in those situations where there's a difference of opinion with the coach and the coordinator and play calling and the coordinator shuts the door and then gives you like, Hey, we're catching a lot of heat, but don't you worry. I got it. Like we're, you know, there's just so much stuff that would be behind the scenes that I would love to know. Hammerville is an incredible name for a town. It sounds like something <laughs> like the guy at Sigma Chi calls his bedroom. <laughs> yes. if, uh, if, they, if they want to sponsor the show, uh, I will definitely go to Pennsylvania. If, if, if oh, yeah. ranch, and I will wear the Hammerville, Hammertown, whatever we want to talk about, uh, you know, Ford dealership shirt on the show every day. A little guerrilla marketing here on the uh, cover three. We, we should get an uh, NIL deal. <laughs> I'm I mean, still running in wise now. They don't have Addison, so I mean, we we, we can get some of that. <laughs> so the um, and I do think Pitt's going to be good this year, but yeah. um, if 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 we were thinking that they were going to continue uh, what we saw in terms of offensive uh, production through the air, then yeah, this there was even hints of this in the spring, so it's not that big a surprise, right? Like when the hire was made to replace Whipple, when you heard the conversations around spring practice, I believe there was even like summer school series, right? Where yeah. the the word was it's like yeah, Pat wants to run the ball more. Pat wants to run the ball more. So they've taken a good run game and good offensive line all the way to the ACC championship uh, back in 2018. So they could win the coastal and do it again. And Bud could hit his win total. Uh, anything else from around the ACC that that stood out to y'all? Yeah, so, go go ahead, Tom. 
No, I no, want to know what yours is. Yeah, Danny, Danny's so checked out. He's not He's not here to be able to get that intoxicating buzz. Of, of I know. You didn't get to listen to like Jeff Halfley get so passionate about everything he's talking about. <laughs> I'm in on Dabo on DJ. Yeah. Dabo like all in on mm -hmm. DJ Uyungle as the guy. And I don't know. I thought Cade Klubnik was a little bit more. And maybe it is. I. I it feels to me that DJ lost his confidence last year. And I thought Georgia might've knocked it out of him like that. And that game might've been that significant because he had a pick six. It was the difference in the game. It was not a great game. And it kind of went downhill from there. And of course the offensive line wasn't great. They weren't able to run the ball as well as they had in the past. He's not a runner. So it just wasn't working, but I thought DJ's confidence was shook. And I felt like Dabo was like, let me get a big shot and I'll give you an injection of confidence by coming here and telling everybody, reminding them, hey, he was great as a freshman. And he was great at high school and he's our guy. And I just wonder, I'm wondering if it's if it's for show, if it is that, or Dabo really believes it down inside. You know what I mean? Like if if like because I think coaches will do that. They'll try to back their guys and say, this is you. And because and they know it's a mental thing. Like we need to give them all the confidence in the world. But I wonder how much in reality that's the case. And I don't know. I don't know the answer. I want Dabo to show me these Clemson fans who are saying that DJU should be starting over Trevor Lawrence. Oh, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't remember any of that talk. Well, yeah. he's, he kept saying message board wants me fired message board wanted me like his, his good straw man is like now even within the Clemson fan base where he's like, he's, he's just calling them the message board. That uh, damn he, sliced breads at it again. <laughs> um, he's, it, he's, he's lost 30 pounds. Um, he is, he came, Slim you. yeah, he came to, uh, ACC football kickoff last year and he was back here this year. And there's like a noticeable difference in terms of, you know, the way he's looked, the way he's carried himself, he's talked a lot about it. And so to me, based on like the conversations that, you know, the, the Dabo and DJ were having, you know, it, it sounds to me like DJ did a lot of like, I'm going to take this effort to change my body, to make myself better. And if I'm Dabo as a coach who does want to build up that confidence, I feel like I want to recognize that and be like, you've put in all this effort in the off season to try to improve. I'm going to meet you halfway, gas you up, tell you, you know, let you know you're the guy. The in terms of the Cade stuff, DJ was like treating Cade like Trevor treated DJ and they're trying to make it seem a little bit more like that kind of relationship, which would be a situation where yeah, if Cade needs to go in because DJ's hurt or if he has to miss any time, they want to make sure he's ready to go, but they, they but are he's, absolutely... the way, he's waiting. Like but he's waiting, right? There's a is that what you're getting to? Like there's the succession plan so when dj is done that's clayton Cade's time isn't now <laughs> right right Look, that's the sense that i've gotten Dabo's history with playing the younger better guy though is not good yeah let's, let's recall not playing him because he didn't play deshaun he played cole stout until like the very right. end of the and, season. And, and Dabo straight up lost that 2014 game for clemson because he wasted all those series on cole stout. remember that that was the game where Jameis got suspended for what he yelled in the union mm -hmm. and yep. They played Cole Stout for like six or seven series in that game. I was there, and it was like, this is just – this is malpractice. Deshaun – if you play Deshaun, that game does not go to overtime. Eddie Goldman does not cause the center to snap the ball way over Deshaun's head. Like, it, it's – Dabo is extremely loyal, right? The other thing I took away from his press conference was he talked about – so they promoted from within on both sides of the ball. 
and he, I think it just it hammered to me, hammered home the, the loyalty factor. He said, like, what, what am I doing if I'm not rewarding hard work? I was like, well, okay, but also the offense was hot trash last year. So if you reward people who work hard but aren't getting the job done, is that really good? Now, granted, it probably has a lot to do with you know, some of the personnel they had, and Clemson had a lot of success coaching. So I, I'm not taking it as a negative, but I do think it's an insight into how Dabo's mind works. He really – values loyalty it's also why they don't take transfers in from outside so it would not shock me to see with see him stay with dj for a long time even if dj struggles again do you think he's going to struggle see that's what i was about to ask because like does losing 30 pounds strike you as a good thing for him he was a little footwork was yeah it was like footwork balance you know some of that stuff moving outside the pocket that's supposed to like that was the motivation coming out of spring practice for him to change physical fitness and try to be a little bit lighter because i always thought his size was an asset because as a passer i mean he's good i just don't think he's some sort of i don't think he's trevor lawrence or deshaun watson as a passer and i think his size and physicality combining that with with his ability as a passer was an asset so i wonder if he lost 30 pounds and say he was 10 pounds overweight so he's still you know let's let's give it to 20 pound loss i don't know if i consider that to be good news for him just as far as his overall game i just how many quarterbacks play at two what did he say he was now he had to be at least 250. Yeah, no, I think I, his listed weight is 250. See, I bet he was 265. Yeah, like I'm yeah. he's a big boy. He might have been 270. You yeah, know? He's, he, was, he yeah. cited after the bowl game. He was like, I weighed myself yeah. after the bowl game, and it was like a moment of clarity for him. You know, he his was, quote was awesome. I had that two weeks ago after that? vacation. Yeah, yeah same he, here. He's like, <laughs> I, was, he's like, I was too heavy after the Cheez It Bowl. I was like, yeah, I've been there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like, I think if he was 265. Two, like I don't think he was two seven. Maybe he was, but thirty pounds off two sixty five. He's still okay. Thick. Yeah, that's he's still still good. a big dude. Who, like, that's still about quarterbacks that are built that way. That have Ben Roethlisberger. I think he's got like ben a big. Was. Like and Ben weight fluctuates. I mean, he always comes. Well, in got he, heavy too for a time and was still effective. Also, yeah. like how much did Tebow James weigh? Was like that. Remember, Jameis used to kind of have the <laughs> like. It happens because you don't work out as much during the season and you don't have you know, four lifting sessions, it goes down to two. You're not doing as much cardio. You're a lot of times you're dinged up and you're in the training room as opposed to doing something. So if you, if you are somebody who's prone to put on weight, you're going to do it during the season. I think that's clearly what happened with DJ. Pour one out for the turnover chain. Anyone? Uh, Mario's first misstep. No How way. This is the best movie made. No, why? Get what what did the thing. turnover chain his. do? The turnover Stupid. chain was fun. It was fun. I mean, here's what's going to happen. Miami's going to start playing well, and people are going to be like, it's because they got rid of the turnover chain. It was stupid. It's not going to be the millions of dollars poured into the program that since Mario's been there that turned it around. It's going to be they got rid of the turnover chain and changed the culture and the attitude and started taking it seriously again. It's a freaking chain. The players have fun. It motivated them to create turnovers. Why is that a bad thing? Because it motivated them to seven and five. Like that's, that's the problem. The, then you get mocked. That's not for the it. turnover chain fault. <laughs> they, well, they you refused you, to tackle. Like like every single tackle attempt was a strip attempt. Like they were what hundred and I don't know what Tom's ever said. I think they were like bottom ten in tackling months. What if they do something different? See, I like I get it's a part of college football. Every defense has got some sort of belt. They have some prop something. I just felt like that wasn't his. And I don't know. Did Oregon do it? I'm trying to think if Oregon did. I don't remember seeing them do anything. It, 
you know. But, Sa- but some of Saban's teams, and he's on the Saban coaching tree, do do this. Bama yeah. has the belt. Georgia has the spikes. Yep. I, what if they did like a designer backpack, Danny? What do you think about that? <laughs> there is a turnover <laughs> backpack. Yeah, yeah, I didn't think fired. it was a good designer. It wasn't even like Gucci or Louis Vuitton. It was yeah. some bootleg designer. I don't even know what it was. If it was Gucci or Louis, they would have been – maybe they would have played better. See, no, you know, but like if I – that's why I think – like if you're Mario, you just want to clean everything. Like start fresh. Like get something new. And I think the best way to do it is something that happens organically. Like who was it? Texas A&M that had the Pringles that like started that because they'd hit home runs and somebody had Pringles and so they started doing that. Uh, you know, the rest of the season. Like I think the organic stuff is what like kind of that's what I would be looking for. I would say no. We're gonna we'll, we'll find something. It's not gonna be the turnover chain. See, my concern is along the same lines as Bud is what you were talking about when when you heard the Narduzzi quote. It's like, oh no, Mario's not going to let him have fun. This is serious oh. business. We're oh, not no, here. Exactly. No, yeah, you, have, the, you have fun in your nil car, right? Yeah, like, oh, we're going we're gonna we're gonna hand the ball off. We're gonna be physical. We're gonna beat the other team up. We're not gonna have any fun. We're gonna have Tyler Van Dyke throwing fifteen to twenty times per game max. That's See, that's the other thing too. And uh, who put this in there? Robbie uh, put that in there in the chat. It's a horrible look when you're down two touchdowns, three touchdowns in the second half. You're probably not going to win, and yeah, you're breaking out the turnover. It just there's but a what's time a, a good look when you're down three scores? That's not the <laughs> turnover case. Don't give up be down three scores. scores. No, don't give them up in the first place. But like, why do you reward guys because they're down? They gave up twenty eight, but oh, they got a turnover now. Like, if I, you don't, are you going to come back from down three scores if you're not excited for making a play? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, they were one of the worst mocked. in the like, ACC. It's sort of a read the room thing, right? Yeah. Like, like a read the room thing. Yeah. Like you should not let, break it out if you're down multiple scores. You're going to let Paul Christ kill it. You're going to let Wisconsin take the joy out of your program. All right. You've already, you're already, <laughs> Mario, I love you, but you're 0 1. But in my mind, 0 1. So the easiest lip read ever on Paul Christ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's great. The turnover chain is, you know, we're going to get out of it because you need to be focused on. These are the things that uh, the turnover chain might distract him from. Technique, fundamentals, regimentation, academics, strength and conditioning, sports science, community service. The man said community service was what we need to be focusing on, and the turnover chain could distract from that. I better see Miami's defensive line picking up trash somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever been excited for somebody to tell you, hey, I'm going to implement some regimentation for you? Like, if my wife was like, hey, we're going to have some regimentation (laughs) to how often you do the dishes, like, like, instant disappointment. Yeah, they're... They're going to be more business-like. Okay, are we done? Enough turnover chain questions? We're all like, oh, geez. <laughs> we get it. Um, okay, Any will uh, anything else before we hit the break and then turn our attention to the SEC? Stood out? Again, uh, Jeff Halfley is just a stud. We've known that. We've been talking about him for the last couple of years. I know, Danny, you get him on the, the radio show a good bit. It's just He brings amazing energy, and uh, and it's – it's, it's infectious. When we're talking about all these coaches that have become perfect to being politicians and milk toast, Jeff Halfley's not saying much controversial, but he is. He's bringing bringing good energy. You can tell why he's a rising star in the industry. If he's at, is he the ACC's Shane Beamer? Yes. Yeah. yeah like there's just all positive vibe, and not Much as, more proven though. I think. What's that? I think he's more proven. Yeah. Oh, for sure. But I feel like. You don't hear like it's all optimistic. No one's like, eh, I don't know if this is gonna work. Like I, you know, like I, I just feel like there's an energy it helps around. Lost in college, like we right. can have a positive energy, and they still are gonna finish sixth. 
But if mm-hmm. that like sixth place in the division is like six and six and they found a way to a bowl game like they did last year, then you're like, awesome. We're still moving in the right direction. Mm-hmm. I got him yesterday in the hallway for, for a while. Had, had a good chat and Roddy Jones was there. Um, but like on the record stuff, he did say, uh, so let me share. he said, this will be the best defense we've had in Boston College. Not like ever, but in my, in my time there. And, uh, you know, he's like, Jakovic was nowhere near 100% last year, hand-wise, when he did come back. Um, and talking to Jakovic, by the way, Boston College's quarterback, for those who don't follow the ACC, he's pretty damn talented. Like, he went to Notre Dame. He was a five-star damn near it. He actually said, he goes, I, I felt like I regressed there. And then since coming over here, I felt like the coaching staff really helped me to see the game and understand what I'm doing a lot better. Mike Denbrock, right, is who his offensive coordinator might have been. No, 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 no. Denbrock was at Cincinnati before Brian Denbrock Kelly was hired Cincinnati, him. yeah. Yeah. Um, I would have to check it. Maybe it was Tommy Reese. Who knows? Uh, all right. Coming up on the other side, speaking of Brian Kelly, we will turn our attention to the Southeastern Conference. Brian Kelly made his debut earlier in the week. Greg Sankey, boy, he had a, a lot of confidence, and there's a, a lot of reasons why. We'll get into that and more next. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Much love, Paramount Plus and uh, South Park 2, the streaming wars, always coming through with, uh, with, with the great mid-rolls for us. So the SEC kicked off on Monday, uh, four days there at the College Football Hall of Fame in Atlanta. Greg Sankey got things started, uh, as a lot of these commissioners do. And he also spent some time with our Dennis Dodd and with CBS Sports, which he said, you know, we are comfortable at 16, but we will remain, quote, thoughtful and, quote, nimble. So they're very happy at 16 with Texas and Oklahoma. He even used the phrase super conference, but he's going to leave this door open. It's very much a um, we're open for business if y'all get your act together type stance for the SEC. He also has a a league that he's got to feel really good about his positioning. Do you think that the the Greg Sankey uh, success tour is going to be something that he's going to continue to roll around with? Is he going to be back in the college football playoff expansion picture? The what, what were your senses from uh, the SEC boss during his time a little bit earlier in the week? I, I, I mean, just being there, it felt like he uh, was just very pleased with, overall with where they were at. Uh, he did float the idea of still being on the expanded college ball playoff, but uh, making it all uh, like like no – it's like, what about no auto bids? What about just everybody earn their way in? Um, which – you know, I think it was a shot at like the ACC and Pac-12 and Big 12, or the, the, the conferences rather that voted against playoff expansion. Just to be or, clear, though, Jim, if you if you win your conference, is that not earning? 
something? Do you not earn something by winning your conference? Didn't you earn the auto bid then? I don't know. Maybe I'm stupid. I don't know. Anyways, no, isn't that the, right. the way that this ends up going? Like the vengeance for the three votes that voted it down is like, all right, fine. Well, when we come back to the table, no auto bids anymore. You know, we've we've consolidated into these awesome super conferences and we don't we don't want to give you all the automatic access in. Just like they give like the group of five uh, has made money off the college football playoff every single year. The college football playoff has existed, but they've only had one team actually make it into the college football playoff enter into another at-large college football playoff and you're now continuing to draw that circle even closer and closer where, you know, Big 12, Pac-12, ACC are going to end up not getting in the college football playoff but just hoping to make college football playoff money. I thought his – and I like Greg Sankey. I, mean, I, I think he saved college football a couple years ago during COVID. I thought his confidence was off the charts, like borderline cockiness. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he's got some serious swag. If there was a turnover chain, if there was a commissioner chain, he would be wearing it right now. I heard him talking on the radio, and I think it was on SEC Network with uh, their morning show. It was like first comments he had of the week, and he was talking. I'm almost positive he said, you know, these these other conferences. They were asking him like about the Big Twelve and the Pac-12 and the ACC. And he's like, they need. He's like, what we've done is we've created value. He's like, we've we've created value in the SEC. And he said, these other leagues need to learn how to create value. He's like, they need to call me and I'll tell them how to create value. Like it was. I read a I, book. Yeah, exactly. I was like, whoa. I'm like, he is feeling, and he should. I mean, he pulled off one of the biggest coups in the history of college football with Oklahoma and Texas. So I get it. But I, I mean, I think he knows what a position of strength they're in, and and he knows the type of money that he and every school in that league is going to be getting, and he knows how he holds all the cards. And I thought he was not afraid to to let it be known that that's the case. Listen, if Greg Sankey's job is to make the SEC the most powerful conference in football and to make it very lucrative, he's doing a great job. But you said he saved college football two years ago, and then a year later he killed it. Maybe. Or at least he stabbed it pretty severely and left it to bleed to see what happens. So, I don't know. Although, I'll counter this. The way the courts are ruling, I think college football was going to get ruined from the way it always has been anyway. And maybe he's the one that had the foresight to see this coming and actually take the moves necessary to make sure everything that at least his league is going to be but, able to pay but those changes. Those survive. changes couldn't have happened without Oklahoma and Texas staying in the big 12 Tom USC and UCLA joined in the big 10. We couldn't have done that. Out of the road. They are in the Southeastern quadrant of the United States as he measures it. <laughs> maybe it's true. If you are like counting Alaska and you draw the line, like, right? <laughs> but no, but, but my overall You're point right. is like, you could have done all these things and not destroyed the conferences while doing it. Like, no, you just got them because you wanted to increase the money that your schools are making, which, again, if that's your job, and it is, it's doing a terrific job, but I'm not going to pretend uh, there was a piece, college football from anything. There was a piece uh, Saturday Down South put, um, and it was saying how Greg Sankey can save college football by stopping at 16. And I, I really wanted to go back. I didn't even have – like, if he really wanted to save college football, he'd give back Oklahoma, Texas to the Big 12. <laughs> like, if he was going to do it for the good of the game, that's what he would do. Yeah, we, I, it struck me being at ACC, hearing Sankey talk about the greater good of the game and the collegiate model, and or excuse me, hearing Phillips uh, mm-hmm. say at the ACC, it didn't strike me at the time because you know I saw Sankey talk first at SEC. 
But then thinking back, it's like, man, like Sankey really talked about his conference only for the most part. And Phillips was like, guys, we got to care about the rest of the sport. And sure, if you're an ACC member, you don't totally love that messaging because it's like, hey, your, your duty's to us, right? Like we really don't care what happens to you know, the Mountain West. But I, it was striking after going to SEC and the ACC, the, the different, uh, different talking points. People will tell you who they are and what they're about if you just listen to what they say. Hey, listen, they might be third place, but it's third of 32, okay? That's what he said. When you're third of 32, you're actually doing okay. It's not as bad. You don't need to say it's lap. All these conferences are lapping. Shout out to Joe Giglio, who uh, who dropped that one on, on the press conference for Commissioner Phillips. By the way, we do have some breaking news right now as uh, the University of Georgia has announced a contract extension for Kirby Smart. This, uh, What are our details here? 10, 10 years, years. $112.5 so $11.25 million a year. Which, at the current uh, database, makes Kirby Smart the highest-paid coach in all of college football. Doesn't Nick, I believe Nick Saban might have one of those, like, plus $1 type uh, type contracts <laughs> to be, or, or well, like, within are, the top three average together over that. But there, there might be a Nick Saban retaliation raise coming. Who knows? Maybe he's got to beat Kirby on the field to, to go and get the retaliation raise. But Kirby Smart, for a coach who at SEC Media Days this week discussed how challenging uh, you know it was and how taxing it's been to be a head football coach over the last 18 months or so, now he is uh, very, very much uh, set for the future and on board with the Bulldogs for – at least the next decade. So quite a contract, not a big surprise, but still going to make your eyes pop a little bit when you see those numbers. It's a steal in a sport where you don't have to pay the players, right? Like that's, he should make that much. You really can't, what is Georgia going to do? But build another football only facility? Getting that NBA money. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> do, you do you think, think cause I, this coach's salary, I'm, I think it was you that said it on here was we're going to see coaches' salaries come down as the players make more mm -hmm. money in NIL and other deals? Do you think no, this no. impacts? No, once, once they become employees. Okay, once they become employees. Yeah. Although yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I think he's yeah. – I mean, there's so much money to go around. I think he's underpaid too, like still, even now. You know? And also, like – but we've mentioned it too. Like what happens when you start saying, well, how about I just spend $4 million a year on my coach and then I spend $6 million a year on players? Right. That's what I that, – but like – Georgia doesn't have that problem. I think it's probably no. more at a school that's trying to get inroads that would do something like that, like a Texas Tech or some somewhere like that. Where you're going to toss around more money, go cheap on your coach. Yeah, and just say, let's, or somebody with a restricted budget, I guess. You know, somebody just doesn't have unlimited boosters lined up saying whatever it takes. Um, Nick Saban says everybody on the recruiting trails trying to say he's going to retire. He says he's going to keep coaching for a little bit. Kirby Smart talked about Florida Georgia game potentially being on the move. And Anthony Richardson, it was we had Anthony Richardson and Stetson Bennett sort of in the spotlight for their own representative, their own teams. That sort of gives a, a face to the Georgia Florida rivalry as we start to look at you know the year one with Billy Napier. Uh, I mentioned Brian Kelly talked a little bit about the quarterback battle that they've got in Baton Rouge. What stood out from the uh, event? at in atlanta stetson bennett basically saying who when asked who about bud elliott <laughs> did he get asked about the haters he got asked about the haters he said he doesn't pay attention to the haters you know he doesn't i mean he's got you know he's got the rings who cares what they're saying i just want a national title 
he's taking Pappy 20 to the face, flying a blue angel. Like, I wouldn't care about Bud Elliott either if I wanted to do that. It was like, hey, Pensacola Beach, what's up? You know, I mean, it, it's, uh, yeah, like, they're they're going to be just fine. All right, addition to the Stetson Bennett thing you brought up, who is the third best team in the SEC? Because, like, that was a question that got brought up a lot. It's a very lot. clear. Now, yeah, I mean, my answer is, under Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M has been the least explosive passing team in the entire SEC and one of the absolute worst in the entire country in its four years in College Station. However, that's like the only thing that team has to fix. So I think if they get that right, it's clearly them. But again, will they get that right? I don't know. So when I heard that question asked, and it was asked a lot, you were right. I heard it a bunch. And it was portrayed as, oh, man, this conference is strong. Like, oh, look how deep it is. I think... It's more of a like we keep talking about the the NFL like college football is becoming more like the NFL. I think this is the SEC becoming more like the NFL in that I think we're going to see cannibalization in the league because Alabama, Alabama Georgia separate separate league and like I think the the more fascinating question is what is the third best team's record going to be? And I think it's probably closer to nine than it is to ten and maybe even eight. Like I think there's a bunch of you know, teams that are getting hyped up and talked about a lot, the Tennessees, Kentuckys, Arkansas, um, LSU, all like all of these that I think are going to be like seven and eight win teams, which is good, but does that it doesn't bode well for you know, real like is that what does that mean? Yeah, you know? eight wins for Arkansas and uh for Arkansas you know, it's, it's huge good. if they can back that up. Yeah. How many teams get at least six conference wins? Because like the not like the non-conference schedule is very Arkansas is a fairly tough non-con, whereas like you could do what Kentucky does and you know coast to four and oh. But I also think it it what happens if Georgia or Alabama slip up to one of these teams that are eight win teams in the like if a Texas AM pulls off another upset, you know, does it prevent them from getting two teams in? See, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I kind of does. look at it. I look at it the same way you do, Danny. Like, I I think that Texas A and M is probably the third best team in the SEC this year. But more important than who's the third best team is what's that gap between two and three. And I still think that there's going to be a pretty size, maybe not in the record because you know somebody's got to win games. So Texas A and M might go nine and three, ten and two, and be the third best team in the conference. It's just I think that there's still going to be a pretty significant gap between the Aggies and the Tide and the Dogs. I give Texas A&M the best odds of going six and two in conference play. SEC plays an eight-game conference schedule, and I've got maybe seven teams that I think could go five and three, and only half of them will, and the rest will be four and four. And like I, Texas behind them, who's in that group? Ole Miss, Arkansas. Yes, Tennessee could end up going five and three. It'd be an awesome season. But you know, give them the loss to Georgia, give them the loss to Alabama, give them one other conference loss then the offense is able to carry them to five wins. But to get to six and two, like you were asking, I think that Texas A&M is the only one to do it, and I don't even think they need an explosive offense to get to six and two. I think they can just ride dumb, knuckle-dragon, like just we are we are playing with the least explosive materials possible, and still just because of their size, weight, speed, strength, they're, they're just going to end up muscling their way and pro-styling it all the way to a uh, to six and two conference record. Have you guys seen how much Kirby Smart, like in a suit when he's outside and it's kind of cold, looks like a European soccer coach? Like, look, doesn't he? He's like, <laughs> like I've never, I don't think I've ever seen like, like, yeah. It, 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 it's, he's like, like all right, we've Champions League. Cool. If he I don't know. Those European soccer coaches, they usually have the tight, they're usually a little better shape 
And they usually one. have the like European oh, yeah. fitted suit look, like yeah. black, black, just like monotone, like black suit, white shirt, black it's or gray. Fashion sense. I will say, I will say, like if if you watch in Syria on Paramount Plus, most of the coaches in Italy are still kind of wearing like suits and finely tailored suits and all that kind of stuff and looking good. But kind of like the NBA since the pandemic. You have seen in most leagues, a lot of coaches have just gone from wearing suits and stuff on the sidelines and just wearing like training gear and T-shirts. Yeah, yeah Vinny Italy uh, basically is always wearing something that his team might have also worn for warm-ups. Yeah, like, like Pep Guardiola is one of the better coaches in the world, or at least one of the highest considered coaches in the world and one of the biggest clubs in the world. And he's these days he's on the sidelines in like a T-shirt and jeans. Is that COVID effect? Is that like everyone's more casual now? Yeah, yeah everybody just much? got so casual. And it was like, wait, why the hell are we dressing up all the time anyway? <laughs> it's like, why are baseball managers wearing uniforms in the dugout? Yep. Shout out Dan Reeves. I think he might have been one of the last NFL coaches that uh, wore the suit and tie, like, and just refused, like kept going suit and tie. Even when they had like the official NFL gear, they wanted all the coaches to wear. He's like, nope, I'm going suit and tie. That's, That's the thing. As an ode to Tom Landry. If the NFL was producing suits, they would <laughs> yes, let the coaches would all be wearing them. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bob Huggins, yeah, for sure. Oh yeah, Bob Huggins, just a trailblazer right there. Um, <laughs> what there was a, a moment in the week where we were uh, at least on the lookout for any kind of potential conference realignment move in the Big Twelve and the Pac Twelve. Um, you know, it was, has been described in some reports as a merger. Other reports or notions have included the idea that this would be a Big 12 expansion move with Pac-12 teams involved. Then we get uh, the news on Tuesday, I believe, that those talks have, have quote, fallen apart. And what do we make of this? Is It, it seems like when we are um, in the no bad ideas mode, when we are in the all options are on the table, it's like, yeah, some things, are, anything can be considered, therefore it can be reported. But this had to have at least taken the next step. And I just am curious to see, like, what do you all think? What do you think were those steps and why do you think it fell apart in terms of, you know, these two conferences trying to either work together or at least expand in some manner? I, I don't know if everything's fallen apart yet. I just still think that we're kind of in a holding pattern until Notre Dame makes a decision. And I think that every conference is kind of, cause like every conference, like the ACC would love if Notre Dame committed its future to them. Big Ten would love it. The Pac-12, you know, depending on what Notre Dame does, might follow it to a conference. So I just think that these talks are still going. I know that it's being reported that they're broken down, but I don't think that means they could not start them right back up again in a minute the second that something happens. So I don't, I don't think we're out of the woods yet. I think we're just kind of in the eye of the storm more than anything. That's a I lot of analogies it. in one. <laughs> we're not out of the woods we're in the eye of the storm but what was your sense of that because i know you were i mean we, we were looking we were trying to at least make sure we had resources in place in case that news dropped um it, what was your sense of you know where they were in that process yeah so just in, in chatting with with some other guys who do more you know reporting on conference realignment certainly than i do um they were thinking the pac-12 is not going to raid the big 12 right because like the pac-12 schools are not going to accept a school like baylor or BYU, uh, you know, for the, like the religious reasons and practices. And then also some of the academic schools or well, some of the schools in the big 12 are not exactly uh, AAU schools. And I'm not cracking on them. I went to Florida state. The Simpsons makes fun, fun of FSU weekly. Uh, so it's kind of, would have to be a one-way thing if they were going to take the PAC 12. 
So it makes me wonder who else is considering some of these Pac-12 schools, you know, the, the, the two Arizonas, Utah and Colorado, uh, being the ones in question here. Um, maybe the ACC have some kind of scheduling agreement or broadcast agreement with them, possibly. My mind is like, what, what slowed this down? Other than maybe they just said, wait, this actually – this does make us less money per team, even though overall it could help to secure our future some. Because the Big 12 is the one league, nobody in the Big 12 is going to get drafted up to the Big 10 SEC. Correct. The, mm-hmm. the Pac-12, you could maybe argue Oregon, but I tend to think if that was going to happen, they would have already done it. Or at least if it was going to happen soon, uh, they would have already done it. I don't think that invitation is out there. I think right. they know right. that they could be wanted, but I, I don't think that they the Hold door is better. open for them. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. I, you know... Speaking of this too, like there's been this narrative I've seen the last couple days that confuses me. It's that like the Pac-12 is going to be okay because it can offer the network's 11:30 Eastern starts, and I'm like, like that's what the Pac-12 already has been, except now it's lost USC and UCLA. It's like I've seen people floating that they think the Pac-12 is going to survive because it's a valuable television commodity because of that, but. I think those 11:30 Eastern starts are attractive to the Big 10 and the SEC and the Big 12 cuz they don't have them already. Mm-hmm. I think the Pac-12 is still selling a product it already has except it doesn't have its own or it's big, you know, it's big brand. So am I missing something here? It, it's not a luxury good, it's a need for ESPN. It yeah. would be a luxury or good. Fox. Or Fox. I don't think Fox what, what's Fox going to put well, it on? Fox has it. Fox has a lot of like late night, you know, like yeah, U- UCLA and USD games on FS1. Yeah. But that's what yeah. I'm saying. It's like they already have that inventory with the Pac-12, and now you're losing your two biggest or one your biggest draw and another big draw. How is that going to be like? Well, we come to the Pac-12. We can be on late at night when nobody's watching. Right. It's a saving grace for some of those schools. It's not necessarily a saving grace for the league. I think. Does that to be really able make sense. Like if the Big Twelve takes those, those schools. Yeah. But that's my point. I think that window is much more attractive to other conferences that aren't the Pac-12 because they're the ones that don't have it already. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't agree. Yeah, so you're you're, you're seeing you're seeing a narrative that the Pac-12 as a conference is benefited yeah. from this. No, no. That's what I'm saying. It's like, well, the the TV networks will still want it because they want to fill those late slots. It's like, well, they already have it to fill the late slots. Right. It's not going to help with an increase in revenue or greatly Correct. change. Uh, it's not going to make up. Um, the loss of USC and UCLA. They are going to be getting less money because they don't have those programs. And like you mentioned, they already have been in that 1030 spot on Fox, that 1030 spot on ESPN. But I I think that the the more relevant piece of it is what any kind of broadcasting partnership can be as an inventory play when it comes to you know what are you going to do with the Pac-12 and what are you going to do with the Pac-12 network? Because the Pac-12 network... SEC Network, totally powered by ESPN. ACC Network, totally powered by ESPN. The league and ESPN are 50-50 partners in the um, channel itself, but it is all with them. Uh, Big Ten Network, majority owned by Fox, powered by sort of the internal Fox machine. And I think that the Pac-12 Network itself, as we can tell by the struggles with distribution, is just kind of flailing right now. And that's why I think there's so much conversation about Pac-12 as a television product because if you could kill the network or fold it in or, or you know figure out something else to do with it, then all of a sudden that might create more value uh, when you just give all of that inventory that you was on the Pac-12 network and you give it over to an ESPN and or Fox. That's, mm-hmm. I think, the play. But it's not going to make up for USC and UCLA. Mm-mm. All right, anything uh, anything else before we get out of here? Uh, 
Media days. Woo. Transfer window proposals. The common sense thing that we've been talking about, yeah. the lesson you take from soccer. Yeah. yeah. Let's just make it a free for all for a couple of weeks. We'll have uh, Cover 3 podcast live streams every single day about transfer rumors. But then well, when the window closes, we can do my, winners and losers. My understanding of the proposal is like it's like a, what, a 30-day window and a 15-day window or 40. I can't remember what the exact windows were. But that's for you to enter the portal. You don't have to make your decision within the windows. Oh, no. Yeah. So, like, you'd have, like, after the conference championship game, I don't remember what the dates were exactly, but, like, after conference championship weekend, you've then got 45 days to enter the portal. You don't have 45 days to enter and find a new home. Mm. Or and in the spring, it's like a 15-day gap. Right. Yeah, you, you have to put your name in. Uh, the other thing is that uh, I saw this on Twitter from Coke. I think Nicole Auerbach had this one. Um the D1 councils is recommending they get rid of the one-time portion. So as long as you're in academic good standing and enter the portal on time, uh, you are you could you could transfer four times in four years as long as you're in good standing academically. Now, granted, it is very unlikely that you are in good standing academically if you're going to transfer every single year. Like it's just not those two things are, are not compatible often. But to me, I think this is a smart thing. Not as good for the athlete necessary, but it, it is good to remove potential things to get brought up in court. Like, why are you still limiting the freedom of movement of people who are not employees? I don't think very many kids are going to transfer more than once. You know, a couple of them will. And the ones that are are doing it for a reason. (laughs) Exactly. Like, look, if you're in good standing academically, cool. Nobody gives a damn if some some cellist goes to four, you know, college orchestras in four years. They, They have orchestras in college, I assume, still. So, yeah, like, Right, like, conductors do. Yeah. Conductors yeah. care a lot. <laughs> I just lost my third I chair. I gotta replace my second chair. Well, <laughs> I hit the portal and go find another cellist. Just conductors having angry press conferences. He told me he was coming back. Showing I got text the text. Messages. I got yeah. the text and said, "I'm coming back, sir." <laughs> and now he's just gone to this other conductor across the country because, ooh, he's gonna play at the LA Amphitheater. Well, good for you. Turns out those reeds over there are uh, supply chain issues holding yeah. those up. Our our spit valves don't meet his requirements, I guess. Yes, and you you've got a way better chance of getting picked up for the national symphony by making this transfer move over to this new conductor on the other side of the country, and you know how, that's really what you're focused on. Do you know how many do you know how many people we sent to the Boston Pops in the last five years alone? I mean, come on. <laughs> Uh, start at media days end with the Boston pops. Love a, love a good catch up here on the cover three podcast. We will be back on Monday with ACC win totals. That will be Monday and Wednesday. The big 10 comes the week after that, the sec, the week after that, then it's time to like really start breaking down the opening weeks of the season, give out some of our official expert picks and more. So make sure that you are subscribed to the cover three podcast on your audio platform of choice on YouTube, smash that subscribe, leave us a, a review. If you want to jump in a future mailbag episode, you can follow him on Twitter at Bud Elliott three. You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. 
I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.